You're listening to How You Create with Ben Terry. Well, it's interesting as we've known each other for a long time. I knew you when you were a photographer. Mm-hmm. You were working at the Apple Store. We were both working at the Apple we Store. We were both working at the Apple yeah. Store. And now you are the go-to product for photographers to be able to actually like wear straps for their cameras. There's bags now. There's more things coming out. Like that's going to be really interesting to kind of unpack. But I first wanted to start off with like you first were and are still a photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still consider yourself a photographer or do you feel like you're full business mode, small business guy now? Oh, definitely still a photographer. I mean, that's the heart of kind of what we do. Um, and so, yeah, started as a photographer back in high school. Kinda. Is that what you wanted to be when you grew up as a photographer or do you feel like you kind of fell into that? I fell into it. Uh, I, I got my interest from it from my grandfather. He was like the original photographer of the family, always documenting us at family events and stuff like that. And I picked up a film camera when they still had film classes in high school and just kind of fell in love with like kind of the introverted creative aspect of it wasn't doing it with people just like landscapes and stuff like that and it was just like a fun creative outlet that I'd never had up until that point in my life and then when I moved to Louisville and was working at Apple I was trying to get more equipment and stuff like that and this is kind of the same story I think for a lot of photographers that are young is you know they want to buy new equipment invest in more stuff and so they got to figure out how to help pay for it and so yeah took on a wedding uh, my now wife, her roommate was getting married and she asked me, uh, if I would. And, and that was like your uh, first, was my gig. first wedding. Yeah. It was my first gig. And so after that, I was just like, this is sick. Like I can do something that I enjoy. It's creatively fulfilling. It's fun. Uh, it's not like a desk job or something that feels like mind numbing and, uh, I can get paid for it and potentially really well. And yeah. so that was, that was, that was exciting. That was kind of my start into professional world. And I kind of remember too, even when we were at the Apple store together, you were more on the like, you were on the technician side, but you were also teaching a lot of classes on how to actually use the Apple software for photography yeah. to people as well too. So it's even kind of interesting to see like during the day you're teaching people how to use Aperture and mm-hmm. other tools that Apple had kind of created. And then yeah. after work, you're going and shooting weddings and stuff. So like photography really started to like take over both your job and like your creative fulfillment. And it, it was always pushing you in that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. I, it was interesting. Apple was such an interesting stepping stone kind of thing. I had what I would consider to be, I think a lot of people considered it like a unicorn position at Apple. Cause I was in a retail store, but like you said, I was, I did some of the technical iPhone genius bar stuff, but then I was able to teach and they sent me to, you know, Cupertino to get training and certified to the mothership, to the mothership uh, and, you know, was and this able to was go like on the peak campus. Apple days where it was like peak Apple. Yeah. You know, there was Mac rumor blogs and that's where you typically like found out stuff and app store gold rush yeah. and all that. Yeah. So that was kind of my, yeah, it was like just a uh, really interesting ed- education, but also great experience for me to kind of explore creative stuff but then I also learned lessons like just how to teach people and how to how to you know help guide people to learn so that was kind of interesting too yeah I I love this juxtaposition as well of you worked for some tech companies Mm -hmm. some tech agencies yep and you're also doing like photography and now you have a very like tangible brand yeah that 
you know, you're using tech to do a lot of the stuff to manage that brand and create, but mm. it's almost like a pivot in away industries away from tech. Yeah. Uh, is there a reason behind that or have you enjoyed not being in the, the tech world? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of joke with, I mean, I haven't really told necessarily a ton of people. It's nothing necessarily special, but I do kind of joke with myself that I kind of like left tech to work with my hands. And that's kind of, kind of the, the feeling that I have. Uh, I picked up leather craft as a hobby, uh, while I was working at my most recent tech job that I was at for five years. It was remote, very forward, remote company buffer that, uh, was remote before COVID and was very much one of those pioneer companies in the remote industry. And, uh, just, you know, looking at screens all day, being on zoom calls and stuff like that. It was one of those things where nighttime routines for a lot of America is, you know, pull up Netflix with yourself or your significant others, your friends. And that's kind of how you like just wind down. And that was like a habit for me that I just kind of grew tired of when I was like looking at screens all day. So I wanted to just do something with my hands and was interested in making a wallet. And that's just one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was just in the garage, just like making stuff. And that was kind of like my wind down time for the evening. So it seems like it's important for you to have these like side hustles or things you're doing outside of the regular nine to five. Like you had the photography yeah. outside of the Apple and then you started getting into leather outside of the tech job to work with your hands. Yeah. Is there a side project you're working on outside of clever? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> or do you it's, feel like this like aligns all the circles of interest being able to do clever full time right now? Yeah. What's interesting about clever right now is I feel like I've in the last year, I've, I've been in like a transition with my role that feels like it's constantly evolving. So I'm the owner, but really the owner just meant like I was <laughs> the one person making every order, every hand stitching along with my wife helping me. And then over the last year I've hired someone, I've hired a second person now, six months later. And so you've got your own shop and warehouse. I've got my own shop, warehouse, we're, we're managing inventory now. So it's just, it's evolving. And so I feel like I've, my role keeps changing from like maker to manager and maker to less maker and more manager and now like scaling and sales and marketing yeah. and all that wearing all these different hats and as we're growing as a company which is really exciting uh it's just given me new role new, new tasks to do so i feel like it keeps me busy so i don't think there's like much i don't feel like i'm very idle and i'm also in a stage in life where when I did have side hustles, I didn't really have kids at the age that they are now. Mm -hmm. And so I've got like a 10 and a seven year old they're in sports, uh, that keeps me very busy as well. And so that just the life stage that I'm in now, it, it seems like there's definitely less time for, seems for like you figured it out just hustles. in the right time Yeah, before yep. the kids reach that stage. Yep. So I want to get into while you were working at buffer at night, you're getting into leather, making your own wallet working with your hands, like what was your aha moment for you that made you want to start Clever? Yeah, uh, really, so I, I enjoyed the process of figuring out how to make different products. So at first, I mean, now if you look at our store, it's mostly camera straps and some leather accessories and we also have some camera bags. But at first I was making a lot of everything in kind of the general leather world and so it was like, tote bags and wallets and key clips and all this different stuff. Uh, and I got bored with it pretty quick. And I had a friend in town that you know as well, uh, Billy, who 
runs State Film, and it's a film lab, one of the few. The best film lab. Best film lab. Here Dear friend Louisville, of mine. Kentucky. Yep, good Shout friend of mine. And, yep, Louisville, Kentucky brand uh, company, and they, you know, are one of the few remaining film labs in the in the country. And so he was like, hey, can you make me a camera strap? And I was like, yeah. So I make him a camera strap, and he's like, this is awesome. Uh, what would it take for you to make, like, 10 of them? And I do them at wholesale. And that conversation was just so simple and small, but it really sparked my imagination of like, I could see myself not getting bored of making camera straps for photographers because I had also kind of, we hadn't really talked about this, but in the process of getting to my last job, I kind of left photography from a professional side to focus on this. The goal was never to be working full time at a job. And then, you know, also raising a family and working on the weekends as a photographer. And so I'd kind of, kind of brought that down a bit and just kind of, stopped that business. And so this was like a way for me to feel like I was still involved in the photography community, serving mm -hmm. artists essentially is kind of what I, what I view it as. And so, uh, that's, that's really what gave me kind of the spark to be like, okay, I could do this and until the wheels fall off. <laughs> so you, you made your first strap for, for like Billy yeah, and some other photographers. Yep. And then you're like, oh, this is like the emergence of the two worlds that I really like. Exactly. So I'm working with my hands and making something, but it has utility and it's something that is serving, you know, the, just the thought that, okay, something I make is involved in the process of another artist making yeah. their work and their, and their craft, helping them with their craft, even just a small way. It's just there. Yeah. Uh, was really rewarding to me and it still is. It's super cool just to see. I mean, I was in Nashville not too long ago and I saw a gentleman walking around with a camera and it had my camera strap on. I was like, all right, that's cool. You know, just, that's to, really just awesome. to bump into someone yeah. that I didn't really even know yeah. and uh, see What that do you in do in those moments? Do you like stop them and be like, I told Megan and my wife and she was like, <laughs> go back and say something. And, and we kind of had chatted before, but we'd never officially met. And so it was just a, it was kind of a cool moment um, yeah. to see something in the wild and um, just realize like, hey, this is like, like part I of his everyday this life. With my blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, and I'm exactly. Like so excited you're wearing this. <laughs> exactly. So it, it was cool. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So you have that aha moment, but when did you start to feel like, oh, this might be something I could do like full time? Yeah. So. <laughs> For context, we, you know, my goal for a while, I had, you know, kind of a small community of different leather crafters. We had a, like a little Instagram DM group of just like, you know, just always kind of chatting and stuff like that. And I remember one of them was just like, yeah, I would just love to be at a day where like I'm selling one wallet a day. <laughs> and it's, you know, 30 wallets a, in a month would be awesome. And I just remember stick it, that sticking with me because I was nowhere even near that at the time when we were having that conversation. And really our story of what, has brought us to where we're at today where I was able to go full time and now grow and scale to a point where I can hire, you know, multiple teammates to be involved in what we're doing is uh, pandemic. Really, we're, we're like a pandemic success story in a lot of ways. We Interesting. It, yeah. Say more. Yeah. So we, w what I found during Your straps the pandemic, cured COVID? Yeah, not quite. <laughs> I am not Joe Biden, <laughs> so I'm not going to make that claim. Um, but uh, yeah, so we what I what I found was we were starting to realize that like okay, photographers, the gig economy was kind of shutting down. Obviously, during the pandemic, lots of industries were shutting down, but the gig economy was definitely taking a hit. And so, photographers being part of that, 
you know, weddings are being canceled, um, shoots are being canceled. These are, these are people without work. And we had some relationships with some photographers, I would say, are pretty influential in the internet space and social media. And what's w- like an example? Uh, an example was Benj Heish. He's a wedding photographer, awesome guy. He's one of our really close friends. Um, and I'd actually looked up to him a lot when I was a wedding photographer kind of coming up. And so we had kind of had this uh, relationship going back and forth. He had our straps and he was making a pivot towards YouTube, just working YouTube a lot and just sharing During videos and stuff like that because he had nothing else to do. Cool. And so he's trying to grow his channel, grow revenue, all that stuff. And I love this hustle. Yeah. And so what we found was um, really pandemic success story equaled like we, we found like a niche with like affiliate marketing on YouTube. And so photographers, uh, the photography culture in general is very referral based. That's how you get gigs, but photographers also look to other photographers on gear recommendations, all that stuff. So we fit really nicely into that like referral based culture. And so, uh, we were just sending camera straps to lots of different photographers. Lots of them were friends that we had already built relationships with and they were sharing either explicitly or just sharing a link in, you know, this is my gear and this is what I use. And, uh, we, we also just kind of had a star aligning moment where we had like a nice article written up in Petapixel, which is like a big, you know, photography news site. And w- I mean, within a month, it was like going from, you know, like less than a hundred orders in a month to over 300 in, mm. a, in the next month. And that was just kind of like a big inflection point for us. Yeah. And then from that point so on, it's like awesome momentum. It is awesome momentum. It was very like, you know, hockey stick, traditional, like, and when you, know, you say a like, hundred to 300, like, does that feel like a lot to you? Yeah. I mean, we had, uh, you know, and it was just me and my why wife does that feel feel like a lot. So me and my wife were working, uh, I was working on these still working, you know, nine to five and at the tech company, at the tech company. And when the kids were in bed after dinner, that's when I would work on orders that we'd have for any given week. And some days I would have two orders, some days I would have none. Uh, and then to have that influx of just like and you're 10, making straps 15 by a day, we're making them by hand. I just had to look at my wife and I was like, I've got to either quit this or I have to quit, you know, the tech job that's, you know, nice and cush but yeah it felt like a, a risk and buffer's that was known taking. for being like very generous in their pay yeah and benefits yeah like, definitely it's definitely like a kind of a traditional silicon valley job that is not the easiest like yeah. fork in the road yeah not to try easiest. to make a decision so but, what like what was the tipping point for you then to like make that jump knowing it's yeah. cushy yeah it's good I mean, it's really just comes down to, I would, I would, I think I would just would regret it if I didn't give it a try. And mm-hmm. I, I, I had a, I was happy there. I mean, it was a good, it was a great job, but I also just knew that's not really where my heart was. My heart was really excited about building something. And I think I knew that, you know, at that time, like eight years prior when I was trying to build a photography business, but I don't think I really had the um, the business acumen or the business just mindset, the maturity to really know how to scale a business on my own. And so the wedding photography business was a start there, but I learned a lot in these startups that I worked at, just a front row seat to what you do, what you don't do, what I would do different, what I would just wouldn't touch, what I would definitely model my business around, uh, just all these different data points and things that I was learning. And so I think it was all this time and kind of in between you know, starting photography business and then having these tech jobs and then launching clever full time, uh, was just like an education that I couldn't have gotten anywhere yeah. else. So 
Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like if people like took both opportunities and like wrote like a pros and cons list down on paper, what do you think some of the things that would stick out that people would be like, yeah, you should definitely go this way. You should definitely stay here. Yeah. I mean, you know, benefits, security of job, you know, you, you know, you got a steady paycheck versus like the orders may just totally dip the next yeah. month. And, you know, 300 orders is great for, you know, for a month, but then like, you know, what if it's a hundred the next month or yeah. 50 the next month? And so it was definitely like a leap of faith, but it was one of those things where we were just kind of, I think, prepared to just like deal with it, you know, if it didn't work out and You're you, like, know, you, can, you can find another job, you know, yeah. and maybe it's not going to be the best paying or the same thing, but, uh, you know, you, That's you so don't always scary. have opportunities like that. It's so scary well. to do, but I, I love this concept of like, this might be our one time to do it. Yeah. Let's at least like go in a hundred percent and fail yeah. rather than continue to hedge my bet yep. and burn myself out. Yep, exactly. So, I mean, we had plans to, you know, try to, you know, take on other work and I could, you know, bring the photography business back even and stuff like that. But what I found was all this planning was just like, it was like looking back on it now, I was like, it just seems silly because mm -hmm. we've, it's just been the total, we've never had to think about it. And so you left Buffer when? I left Buffer in 2021. I think yeah, like early, early. Two, 21. Yeah, early 21. So it was like I think I remember you telling me like the end of 2020. Yeah, it was like February of 21. So I was already kind of planning it and I was in my kind of like 90 day window or yeah. 45 day window that I kind of. I remember you like them. telling me and like I was even like, I mean, I know Clever is like starting to take off and I think there's some momentum here. But I remember thinking like, wow, like Todd really believes there's something here to kind of leave the the yeah. job and situation that you had at buffer. And so I think it's awesome to see too, like so far your bet's been right. Yeah. I mean, so far it's been right. And I mean, that's some of it's like, you know, you can say it's Providence or luck or whatever. I definitely, I definitely don't think it's all my effort. You know, I definitely think that there's, you know, more that are just out of my control that just like it, this is how it worked. And I'm really fortunate for yeah. that and grateful. But at especially the same time, when you do a Kickstarter, but at the and same you get time, so many yeah. people like excited, yeah, and backing like some of the new things y'all are building too. So I had done a Kickstarter prior to our last one that we did this last year, and it, what interesting story there was that was when I, right around the time I made the hard pivot to do um, photography, more photography accessories, so leather, leather okay. crafts, but like all camera straps, and that Kickstarter by all metrics was successful. We raised over hundred percent and it was good, but I found myself actually feeling a little depressed on it because I, it didn't really blow up to a point where it was like, it brought me to a place where I could bring mm. this full time. So it's, it's interesting. I've never really talked about this, but you know, we have a mutual friend, Tyler Deeb, um, who runs Miss Goods, another brand in town. And he's been a good friend over the years. And I just remember telling him like, yeah, I'm actually thinking about like, just kind of winding down clever I don't know like maybe not I, this was kind of like as I'm dealing with like the posts you know of, of the first the, of the Kickstarter and kind of fulfilling it and just feeling like yeah maybe I'm just like striving at the wind here and this is like maybe not going to go anywhere it was successful but it wasn't like successful enough to like change my trajectory kind of hoping it'd go viral yeah and like 10x yeah. the yeah. goal that you had exactly set. and then you know 
honestly, I think it ends up being like 13, 14 months later where we're going full time and, and you know, things are totally different. And so really glad I didn't give up on it then. Yeah. Uh, so wait, going full time, 13, 14 months later, that's you leaving to go full time. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it wasn't that much longer. Uh, so you like ran the initial Kickstarter later. while you were still working yeah, at Buffer. At Buffer. Yep. And so. how much do you remember how, how much you raised for the first one? Oh, it was like $6,000 or something like that. And know? then how much did you raise on the second? It was over 100000 so like 110 I think. So, yeah. Wow. Big difference. And, you know, it's, it's, there's something to be said about just building a core audience and core customer base. Do you think that's a success to like a Kickstarter or any sort of like crowdfunding is having an established like audience or base? Yeah. I mean, the difference is like we had hundreds over the, the years in between. We had hundreds of customers and a good segment of them became returning customers, mm. loyal fans, I would say. You know, if, if someone coming back and they're buying a hundred dollar plus product more than two times, like there's a sign there that like they're into what yeah. you're doing. And that's, that's, it's like such an honor and like such a compliment even to, to, to realize that because that's not necessarily, I'm not even that customer. Like, yeah. you know, to have customers coming back four or five times or to always like whenever you drop a new color on leather or a new bag or a new product, them just like you see their name and you're like, okay, that's cool. Like, yeah. They're, they're about what you're doing. And it's like, you're the type of founder that if, if you're really into that culture scene, you want to buy from because you yourself are a photographer. And so the things that you create are for photographers and it comes from that mindset of like, you're creating something you yourself would use and want. Yeah. And so a lot of the small details you've kind of put into the product because you yourself want that and have needed that when you have shot weddings or freelance gigs or, or just for personal use. And so I think that like goes a long way to your customers as well. Yeah. It's all part of the brand. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely defined almost everything that you see on the website is, you know, it's the only way I really know how to product develop at this point. Yeah. It's something I'm, I'm, I'm learning to grow in, but if it's something that I couldn't see myself using, I have a hard time like knowing like how do I develop this or how do I, or even just an interest because, and and I, but I know that I'm at least enough of a customer base. Like I represent at least a small portion of my customer base to know that like, okay, if I'm developing this for photographers, like what would I want? And then I've also got a nice network of other photographers to draw from and get in feedback and inspiration. So well, helps. I'm glad you brought up product development. Cause I was curious during your time kind of working at Apple and buffer, which when you think of tech companies, you think they're going, or at least they are internally wanting to focus on customer support and product development yeah. this human centered experience to a certain degree. How much of that impacted your approach in view on customer support and product development, especially being a creative where like you really just focus on execution mm-hmm. and now having to like be the person creating the product plus also creating the support for customers at the same time. How do those companies like influence your thinking on that? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I would say it's, I don't think it necessarily think about it too much, but I do think it's embedded into just how I, how I do things and how I manage things. Like I do care about the user experience, um, or just the holistic experience of purchasing from us. And, 
using the product and stuff like that. So I think about that a lot. So when I hear whether it's feedback or just there's an issue or a problem that a customer has with an issue, it's it's just kind of in my nature to really feel like, okay, this is actually the, probably the best thing I could say to, to your question is this is an opportunity to turn this customer into like a real loyal fan, especially yeah. if they have an issue or if they have a problem or they're like disappointed. Uh, how can I go above and beyond is like, you know, it's like turning it, a problem into like, you know, an influencer moment or influencer is the wrong word, but like just like a true fan moment yeah. where, uh, or an invitation. Yeah. You, you know, there's every customer just wants to be seen and heard and understood and uh, especially if they have an issue. And so to really lean into that and give a human experience is so rare. That's, that's what, that's the edge we have on an Amazon or an Apple is they can't give like, you know, you're talking to the owner of the company experience where you're talking to Todd, he made your strap. He also owns the company and he's dealing with your issue. Like that's something trying to do things that don't really scale well at and trying to do it at scale yeah. <laughs> is something that I think is interesting when it comes to customer support and customer experience, because I think it gives you an edge where you can't always compete with two day shipping or same day shipping, you know, with an Amazon or whatever, but you can um, infuse human interaction um, when you can, and, and everybody likes to t- talk to the owner of a company. So <laughs> I just, I try to do that at scale, even if it's not a very scalable thing on paper. Yeah. Do you have a lot of people who come up to you now asking, like, do you have advice on how to leave my company or if I should leave my company to like start my thing full time? Like what do you usually tell people when they want to make the jump? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I have had a few leather crafters, like the leather craft community in particular is a very it it's, feels big, but it's also very small. And so everybody kind of knows each other. And I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way because I don't, I've never tried to like be above it, but I've, I've kind of intentionally not viewed myself as a leather crafter anymore because that it's a very particular culture. And yeah. I've, I view myself as like, we are a brand that serves photographers and we just so happen to make leather yeah. goods. I never think about you as the leather guy anymore. Yeah. I remember there was a phase though, where like all I thought about was you were the new leather guy. Yeah. Like you knew hides of leather, cuts of leather. You had a guy in town where you were like, became best friends with. He was like this old man who had all the leather. Yeah. But I don't think about you that way. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things I kind of distanced myself from the leather craft from a really technical perspective Mm -hmm. because I didn't really want my core customer wasn't going to be leather crafters right. wanting to learn from me how to make, you know, nice leather products because I was just trying to make a product that was serving photographers. And so I have had a few leather crafters though, to answer your question, come out and just ask me like, Hey, have you thought through like taking it full time? I really, really want to make it full time. It's a side hustle, side gig, really admire what you're doing. And which is just like, you know, wow, that's so, so cool and humbling to hear that because I don't feel like I have like a recipe or a prescription on how to do it, but yeah, we just chat, you know, I just try to be an open book and just share from my experience what works and definitely with pricing and stuff like that. I think that's like a a key thing is, you know, with anything in selling your work or selling, you know, your art, um, you know, pricing is like such a tricky thing and just one of those things you kind of got to get right. Um, yeah. Pricing is hard. Yeah. Always make it cheaper. Always that's what the customer is going to say. <laughs> just, just, oh, that's what the customer says. Yeah. Uh, but that's not how you pay the bills. 
So what have you learned that you're good at and not good at mm -hmm. while like starting your own company and running a small business and stuff, especially an online e-commerce small business? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I would say that I'm good at working with the ideas and moving them forward and kind of driving. I do feel like I, I can do that well when it comes to a project. You know, we're working with a, a photographer on a signature strap right now, and that's just, it's an everyday kind of thing where either we're interfacing with him or we're interfacing with suppliers on different things to kind of prepare for this launch. And that's just one of those things where it's like, it, it feels like it's essentially project management, which hasn't been a key part of my role, but it seems like something I can And how did well. you figure out the logistics and the operations of like, I need to get leather from here. I need this person to do this. And then that has to go here. And then I ship it. You that. suck at it. You suck at it a lot for a while and figure out how to, how to stay on top of it and just, just do it. You know, you learn. And so I, a lot of that came from even just the last Kickstarter we did where we had to work with suppliers. You know, we, we aren't making our bags in house. And so they're an overseas manufacturer and they're getting shipped here. And so a lot more moving parts. It's not like everything, it, eventually every bag touches my hand pretty much or one of my teammates hands before they go out and we're, we're looking at them in QA kind of side of things, but it's not like we're making everything um, when it comes to the bags. And so that's just one of those things where as we've grown, we're, we're bringing in more things that um, aren't just us touching and working on start to finish. So that's kind of, that's kind of how I've just grown in that and just kind of practice and you kind of suck at it at first and then you kind of get questions answered or make mistakes and kind yeah. of learn from them. So what's been, what are things you just hate or not good at doing? Uh, taxes. Yeah. <laughs> taxes suck. Um, I mean, managing finances in a small yeah. business is hard. Managing finances is tough. Uh, fortunately, we've been able to keep it like just keep it simple, stupid kind of when it comes to the budgeting of, of the business. And that's really helped us a lot. So just like Google spreadsheets or QuickBooks or. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just through our bank online. We use Novo bank and they have like budgeting tools within it. And so cool. I can just like put things in the buckets, you know, and yeah. just, this is our resources that we need for new materials, for salaries, for, you know, teammate compensation, for, you know, R and D research and development. We just put money away in just different pockets and that just helps us. But uh, yeah, bringing someone on board to kind of help with that, like CPA, we just, you know, work with the CPA, you know, quarterly to kind of help us stay on track with more of the technical stuff with the tax and state stuff. But if you could spend like more of your time, like on a particular area, what would be like, you know, the ideal thing, even if money wasn't involved, like whether it's the community or more idea generation, like if you could just like every day you wake up and you're doing this and you know the business is still going smoothly, like what aspect of the business would you want to spend time on? I think it's I think it's creating experiences, you know, on Clever's dime for photographers to inspire them in their craft. Uh, I think that's something that I wake up and I just, you know, I want more of that. I wanted that for myself when I was an aspiring photographer. I know it's needed that encouragement and, and some of it should be really practical advice on shooting things a certain way, whether it's, or interfacing with clients to just inspiring, uh, photographers to take their business to the next level or just pick up the camera more. I think that's something that is really 
really something I, I'm interested in because I don't want to be a brand that's, you know, always, you know, here's our next product, buy this from us, sell, you know, sell, 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 sell. And that's kind of the nature of like social media marketing, you know, for a brand is like, you know, so it's like, how do we create value and add value to the, the photography community at large in some capacity? Um, whether that's buying prints and, you know, showcasing them in our shop or, uh, you know, putting a workshop on or, um, you know, trying to fund something for an artist, you know, those, those are different things I get excited about and passionate about so that, you know, we really can make good on our promise that like we're for artists and we're for photographers as a brand first and not just trying to peddle our latest stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you sense that like working at a tech company has given you like a competitive edge to a certain degree as you've entered into the e-commerce small business world? Like, do you mm. think that experience has helped in some way? It's definitely helped in some ways. It's it's helped me learn a few things that I, I mean, strangely don't want to do. And it's not like a bash or a critique um, necessarily, but more just, you know, I was able to observe, you know, being being at a comp the last company I was at, we were a third-party provider. And so in a way, you know, some of the hardware we use um, is really popular within the photography community. And it's a third party hardware that we, so we're kind of like a third party provider as well. Yeah. And just two different industries. Um, yeah. And I just learned like the tricky <laughs> nature of being a third party provider by watching firsthand how, you know, Buffer was not able to one day publish, you know, social media content to Facebook profiles. Yeah. And that was just like a big cut off of like, you know, a certain segment of our customer base at that company at the time. And so just that's really taught me a lot about like investing in your own intellectual property and having your own IP so that you can, you know, forge the product roadmap that you want on your terms and decide how you want to, you know, move forward as a business and not let, you know, the first party that is providing right. you the hardware ever be in a position where they can kind of control that or make decisions for you that, you know, would catch you off guard. Yeah, I feel like that's a huge lesson to learn. It's a huge lesson, and it's why we've moved into bags and stuff like that, so that we can kind of pivot our revenue, you know, pie a little bit towards other things that are fully in our control and not something that, you know, could be just, you know, the rug pulled from underneath us one day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I was actually curious to ask you, like, Buffer is kind of like this third-party application trying to build for small businesses to help expand their reach on marketing and stuff like that. And Joel, the founder has been very passionate about small businesses and trying to like build a tool that helps them. Um, what do you feel like during your time working with him? Like what are some of the lessons you feel like you've learned from working with Joel at Buffer? Like how has that influenced, um, how you want to lead and grow your team? Yeah. Um, or even just some of the principles that were kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like you yeah. spent some time with him yep. and that team for a long time. Yeah, I did. You know, one big thing that I learned and they aren't the first to ever do something like this, but just having company core values was just really at times it could be for, it was better or for worse kind of thing. Like the, the values needed to be reevaluated and looked at, um, over time and, you know, change with the company as it was appropriate, but it was really aligning and really like focusing. And so I think as we continue to grow our team beyond, you know, the, the three of us, I think it's going to be really, it's really key for us to have like 
clear vision on like what we're doing and why we're doing it and be aligned on that. And so there's no like confusion. Um, You're about, like starting to build your own culture yeah, within the company. Yeah, exactly. So it's very culture, culture oriented lessons. That I feel like I learned from Buffer and from Joel and his leadership. Uh, I, I also just feel like he, he was really good at modeling, just trying to do the right thing, even if it wasn't on paper, something that necessarily made sense. And uh, that, that was something that always I admired and just looked at. And that, that definitely spoke to how I handled a, a small little crisis with our Kickstarter, a more recent Kickstarter with our bags, where there was like a defect, a potential defect that we found. And um, just, you know, putting a hold essentially on fulfillment for a couple of weeks just to make sure we could get that 100% right and dialed in. And mm-hmm. thankfully, we were able to patch that up with a, with a small repair on every single bag. But it was extra work. It cost us more. But in the long run, um, doing the right thing by the customer and kind of doing that in public um, is just super good for trust building, I think. And so I don't advise necessarily making things up so that you can try to build (laughs) trust that way. But when you're put in those tough spots, it's a good reminder that like, okay, there's an opportunity here to really like solidify with your customer, these people that want to be your true fans and like really help them like earn that trust um, by you know, owning up to something that didn't go as planned and then doing right by them. So I remember us talking about that situation in real time and almost even kind of saying like, this would kind of be the buffery. This is the buffery way. Yeah. Oh, to kind, that to was like kind of like handle the it. company is like, yeah, like a buffery kind of, kind of decision. And so, yeah, that definitely helped influence. And, you know, even like, you know, our mutual friend, Greg from Visco as well, mm-hmm. like just also, some some similarities there in regards to culture and how taking care of the customer, taking care of like the user or whatever. Uh, that was just really powerful and impactful for me. And I felt like it was a good defining moment. It's like, this is a great opportunity to start making this like the precedent for how we deal with things with customers going yeah. forward. And so. So now that you're more so building things for creatives mm-hmm. and this is like a new area for you to kind of express your creativity. It's typically been outside of the nine to five job, you mm-hmm. would express your creativity. What does creativity and creating mean to you now in this like new stage or season of your life as like an owner operator of a small e-commerce business that's booming and growing? Like what's your view on creativity at this point? Mm. That's a great question. I. I my brain goes in two different directions from the business side. I would just say everything can just kind of become a test like for fun. Like, you know, if you want to do something like we're launching a new color for our leather soon, it's this nice blue leather. That's very different from like more of the earthy browns and blacks that we offer that are more traditional leather colors, but people just are really excited about it. And that's, that's just fun to see. And so just seeing people's response and stuff like that and just being creative with how we, how we take something that's already existing and just generate some excitement or generate some interest from customers that either follow us kind of from the shadows and then come out because, you know, this is really interesting to them or um, have expressed that they want to see different colors or something like that. So that's just from a business side, that's just one small practical way. Um, I'm also just, we've invested in some equipment to help us with prototyping more. So I'm really kind of moving into prototyping new products so we have other products that we want to launch more lifestyle products 
And so that's, that's something that, that, that's just like fun and creative. Like we can just do that fast. It doesn't investing in equipment that allows you to execute on ideas, whether they work or not quickly yeah. is something that I think is helping me on the business side because before, if I wanted to prototype something that we didn't have like a die or design for, it was hours of work, you know, to make this prototype that's probably just going to be shitty anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so now I can use, like, we have a you laser, can experiment. we you have can a laser, which is R&D. the tool that helps us. And so now I can just like take a design that's on my computer, just cut it out really fast and, you know, run with it and say, oh, this is great. Or it's not, or let's make a tweak or this is just a terrible idea, trash it. And I can do that all within 30 minutes as opposed to like two or three hours. Um, from, I think the personal side creativity, I do, I think immediately about like, I'm a father and my kids and, you know, we just went on vacation and I just kind of started to try to look at everything from their lens, from their angle over vacation. I went in very like photojournalism dad mode, this, and I'm a photographer, so that's kind of like what, how I've done things in the past, but like I went like full in and took lots of pictures and looking for moments and like just seeing what they're doing and how like I can document what their experiences are and stuff like that. And so trying to look at things from a different perspective and document that. And my kids, I just have a a wellspring of, you know, opportunity to look at things differently when it comes to um, just following around what my kids are doing, what they're excited about and how they're living their life. What are you shooting on and what kind of strap do you throw on it? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I have, I, for the vacation lately, I've been shooting on an X100V, uh, which is a camera that I've had for a couple of years, just really small point and shoot. That's really just perfect for keeping around. It doesn't feel like you're carrying something super heavy, uh, but it's just a really powerful camera, which is nice. And you can do a lot of fun stuff with it. And then I have a film camera, another older Fuji film, um, film camera that I've been taking. So just kind of mixing it up a bit got some of that instant gratification. We can look on the back of the screen with the digital, but then uh, save it for later and then drop it off at state film and get those, get those, uh, those uh, scans back. And that's just really rewarding as well. So, and what kind of strap do you throw on it? Oh yeah. So I'm, I'm very minimal. So we have a skinny strap. uh, It's a basic split ring strap. It's just super minimal. Uh, I have one that's pretty short and then one that's more of like a medium length. And um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, keep it simple, stupid kind of kind yeah. of approach with my camera straps. So is the, is, is this strap part of the kind of like a partnership or thing you're doing with Joe Greer and his strap or are those? Yeah. One of them, the one that I was referring to the short one is, yeah, I have that one on my film camera right now. And so we're, yeah, we're working with a great photographer, Joe Greer on a signature strap for him. He's kind of had an idea for a while and we've kind of crossed paths a f- few times over the years and, we just kind of stars aligned and we started talking and we're, we're working together on, on this project. And it's, um, kind of a project that's unabashedly a, a strap for, you know, street photographers, which is kind of his, you know, uh, avenue of photography that he really focuses on. And, uh, it's going to be, and it's a fashion piece. It's a fashion I mean, it piece. It looks yeah. good. It looks good. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's gotta look good. I mean, it's gotta be sexy to get you in the door and then, yeah. you know, we gotta have the function there. And so, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I've been rocking on it and just giving it a test and out there testing it in the wild Yep, just giving it a test and making sure, you know, there's anything that pops up that, you know We want to change or do differently and so you all are doing 
like signups for a wait list right now to purchase mm-hmm. that strap? Is that how that's going? Yeah, yeah. So we are we're currently taking essentially signups so that we can let people know uh, we'll be doing like a first edition of mm-hmm. it, and so that'll and kind of like a limited run of so like so many. It's going to be limited. Um, you know, he's got a pretty loyal and large network of you know fans and friends, and so we we expect we'll sell quite a few and. So we want to make sure that the experience is really dialed and that we can prepare for it properly. And so, yeah, we're taking signups so that as you know, as soon as people, as soon as we're ready to pull the trigger and drop it, uh, people can be made aware and yeah. ideally not miss out on on like a first edition release of this strap. So be that's cool. awesome. You think it'll be sometime this year? That's the plan. Yeah, this year, um, this fall is kind of what we're looking at. So. Fingers crossed that, you know, nothing with uh, supply chain holds that up. But yeah, but yeah, that's fall. awesome. Yeah, this is kind of like, is this the equivalent to like when Nike signed Jordan to create Jordan's shoe? Like in the photography world, is Joe Greer, <laughs> Clever and Joe working together? I to mean, create he's, like- he's definitely an awesome partner to work with. Uh, it's definitely it's it's a funny parallel there but you know for Which our I brand guess I should I should say he's like uh the Adidas because I think that's like one of the <laughs> brands he works with rather than Nike yeah yeah that's true um <laughs> so yeah no I mean it's it's just for us as a brand it's it's interesting like how do you how do you find new verticals and how do you ha- find new ways to grow and, and tap into new audiences and customer bases and stuff like that and so it has been on our mind for a bit to like how do we partner with someone that you know, we can build something really great and ideally even like take their vision and bring it to life, you know, with our infrastructure and the things that we've kind of got dialed down that mm-hmm. aren't like, you know, maybe naturalist, just like a, a photographer, what they'd have access to, um, you know, like our fulfillment process and how we, how we do all of our order packing and all that stuff. And, and then, um, yeah. And then bringing a really, you know, nice, thoughtful handcrafted product to, to market that, um, you know, isn't made in China and isn't, you know, something that's made in a factory with machines, but it's handmade. And so uh, I think it's a really cool opportunity for our brands to, you know, just kind of unite and see what happens and hopefully build off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to uh, Andy Miller, or Andy J Pizza a couple of weeks ago, and he was really talking about how you can't, he has this, has this belief of like, until you are in love with yourself or not in love with yourself, but have a right view of yourself, you'll have a right view of your art. You won't be able mm-hmm. to love the art you create if you don't first love yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's been a movement around like counseling and therapy and mental health and stuff. Yeah. How has doing things like that helped, helped you in yeah. your creativity and running this business? Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that statement. I'd I'd never really thought about it in that way in re- relationship with art, but I think that 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 principle is pretty applicable to a lot of other areas of life, you know. Um, and so, I I agree with that. I think that for I, I I see a therapist, and it's definitely helped me with navigating some of my you know high stress point pressure points uh, with running a business or dealing with things that, you know, are just really quite difficult, you know, as a business owner. And that's really helped me just put things in perspective. Um, and, and, and really, I think, yeah, 
I mean, kind of taking care of yourself first is, is what I've come to find is the most important thing. I, I, I don't know if this is for everybody, but like I've, I've noticed my personality is like when things start to hit the fan, like my, <laughs> my like well-being and like, you know, taking care of myself are some like practices like, you know, going on a run, you know, regularly or whatever like that. Those are the things that are the first things to take the back seat. But it's actually like the stuff that needs to be, you know, on the forefront to help me stay fresh and stay, you know, good and energized and, you know, just, you know, taking care of my stress levels. And so I think, I think that that's something that I definitely really resonate with. And I think that when it comes to your art, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, you got to be confident in yourself to know that, you know, you're making, you know, and I, I, I might not even say it from art for me from a personal side, but I do think about it from a product perspective. Like if something goes wrong with the product, you know, can I still love that product mm-hmm. <laughs> that I made that we've invested and poured so much time and energy into, even when something goes wrong with it and we've, you know, botched it up or whatever like that. And so uh, that I think knowing the effort and the intention and the work that you that you took to get to where you're at as a artist, as a maker, as a product owner, whatever it is, or product business owner, um, knowing what you did to get there and respecting that journey and appreciating that journey and the hard work. I think that really helps me look back on the things that I've launched that have maybe gone well, or the things that have, you know, I've launched that maybe haven't like always aged well and, you know, still appreciate it and look at it with some fondness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just part of the journey. And so, yeah. yeah. It does seem like your most you is in like the understood you are most resourceful uh, when we're self-aware. Yeah. And so the fact that you can see like, oh, when stuff hits the fan and I start acting non-resourcefully, yep. being able to identify that and being able to pivot, like it's definitely a healthy sign of growth and maturity and wisdom, especially now that you have even more responsibilities and pressures as like a business owner. Yep. And sometimes those constraints are really helpful towards our creativity. Sure. The situation of like the possible defect, that constraint, and then having to get creative with a solution and trying to tackle it. It's always kind of interesting how it sometimes brings the best out of us if we're at a place where we can be resourceful in those high intense stress areas. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it, I think just looking at things as an opportunity, you know, like looking at the potential negative or the problem as an opportunity to grow. It's, is it a growth mindset or is it like a, you know, a victim mindset. or fixed mindset Yeah, that ne- it's like a problem that needs to be fixed or you're a problem that needs to be fixed or you're, you have a deficiency or you have an opportunity to grow or, become better or become more mature or just become a better owner, creative photographer, entrepreneur, whatever it is. Um, Those, those two mindsets are very different, but um, lead to different paths for sure. And I think fulfillment is a big part of that, depending on which way you land. Well, I know Clever, it's an awesome company. You guys are doing a ton of stuff right now. You've got a bunch of straps, bags, like so many things coming out um, and you're making new stuff. And you've already expressed wanting to be even more involved over time within the photography community. Who's on your radar of like photographers that get you really jazzed by some of the work that they're creating? Uh, What are some of the communities? Like I know you've gone to some like community events that have like been really cool. So I'm thinking like one, who are some of the photographers? And two, what are some of the communities that you feel like 
photographers should tap into mm. if they're not involved with? Cause I know you've kind of got your finger on the pulse in some way on sure. some of that stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I feel like there's so many photographers I could name. I know um, I, it's almost like it's, one of those things like, you have to pull up your Instagram or like your Twitter yeah. to find the ones because it's like when you're put on the spot, it's like, who is that person again? I can see their face in the, in their images. Yep. So, um, first I, I like I, when people do ask me this, I do think I do try to like honor like the OGs that are still living. There's, there's one in particular, Joel Myrowitz is just an, an OG photographer that he's just this wellspring of inspiration. You think he's, he's definitely in his seventies, probably he might be in his eighties. You send him a strap yet? <laughs> he's hard to get in touch with. <laughs> um, but he's on, he's on Instagram and just the gentleman, if you watch any of his reels, whether he's just talking, you can just see the liveliness that he has for the craft and for what he does. And I just, I hope myself and every other photographer ends up like that one day when they're that old and they've that, that seasoned and that, you know, they've seen it so much and taken so much and they're so accomplished, um, but still love it like a child. And so he is a big source of inspiration in regards to someone who's still living, who's been kind of through the full spectrum of what photography has gone through from very early, you know, technology with film cameras to now we're, you know, shooting <laughs> IMAX quality videos and photos on our, on our phones, you know? So, uh, so Joel Myrowitz, Andre Wagner, uh, photographer in New York is just really awesome. I love the work that he does and, um, particularly within the culture and just like the world that he's in, um, particularly with like the black community. Um, I think he's in New York. Is that right? Yeah. yeah I think he's yeah. in New York. And so I think I found, I just find his work really inspiring. And, uh, Valandes is another photographer. Oh, yeah. I find he's so cinematic. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, I follow his stuff for a long time. Yeah. Valandes really is really cool. Uh, we've, we've chatted a little bit trying to get him some straps. He's really excited about trying a few of ours and try to get him on the pod. Yeah. That'd be sick. Yeah. You need to get him on the pod. Uh, he, but his, yeah, his just art style. Is he it, in New York now? I, I like have a hard was, time keeping track of where people are at. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's in the city. Yeah. But I think it's... I can't I remember if he was in Detroit or Chicago for a while and then he yeah. moved to New York, but yeah. But his, yeah, his art style is just so different in regards to... It just has a cinematic look to it. It's super cool. And then um, let's think one more. We'll just give one more. Um, we'll just shout out to a local photographer, uh, Josiah Bice. Yeah. mutual friend of ours good dude uh he's shot some product stuff for us um and just really crushes it and so really inspired by his work he just does a just does a great job and so yeah there's there's i could go on and on and, on. and what are some of the communities yeah communities so they don't have question. to be like shooters yeah i'd say i would say i've noticed over the last year two years probably that a lot of the camera brands so, you know, you're, you're like, uh, your Fujifilm, your Sony, your Canon, but particularly Leica and Fujifilm are what's coming to mind. They've done a really, really good job at cultivating community mm -hmm. online lately. I feel like they've just done a really good job. You've got, um, a company like Visco who, you know, they're just like a creative platform for, for photographers, um, and creatives. And they've, they've been doing that for a long time, but I feel like the social, media accounts for like those two camera brands have done a really good job at just 
every day and just kind of having dialogue and conversation starters and things like that, which has kind of been cool. Uh, what I feel was like that event that you went to up in Chicago? Oh yeah. So beers and cameras is awesome. Yeah. That's, I'm glad. You and they do that. that in different areas. They're right? awesome. Yeah. So beers and cameras, they started, I believe in San Diego, but they're kind of like, you know, international chapters in different cities, kind of self, self-led, self-organized yeah. chapters, but they, they meet up at pubs and breweries and, um, talk cameras and share cameras. And then like a lot of photo walks will be organized, uh, around that as well. And so that's an awesome community. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, they just, they just do really, really great stuff. I mean, anytime you can get a bunch of, and because photography has become so democratized and everyone has like a camera on their phone, mm-hmm. uh, these communities are like awesome. And like, we've got friends that we've seen over time start with their phone and then have turned it into like, they're doing it full time as a photographer. Sure. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy how the, you know, there's always, there's always going to be some level of like, you know, um, what's the word like humps or challenges to kind of get over, to go full time into that industry. But being able to like start shooting, like whether it's with your phone or throwaway camera, just to get your eye and to understand like ISO and aperture and all those different things. Like there's never been a better time to try to become a photographer than now. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's really hard to turn that into a full time career. Yeah but everyone's pretty much is like, there's more of an opportunity and chance to try to turn it into a career. Yeah. Yeah. A career or whatever. Yeah. Whatever you want to make it. I think there's never been a better time to grow and learn. And I would just add to that while we're on the topic of communities and growing as a photographer uh, or an artist, uh, you know, you can, you can definitely look up like, you know, in your local city or local area, like, you know, Facebook, you know, meetups and stuff like that. There's, there's lots of things I would encourage people just to like, just do a little basic search on the social media that you're in on a localized level and just see like, are there any people meeting up at a coffee shop or at a brewery doing like, you know, uh, photo book conversations. There's a, there's a photo book, um, meetup pretty regularly here in Louisville. That's pretty great. Um, but I, I would emphasize on that, that, you know, we're talking about communities. We're talking kind of about like both internet-based communities and kind of offline-based communities. And yeah. I would really emphasize if you can get involved in an offline-based mm-hmm. community in some capacity, there's so much rich, you know, yeah. relationships, conversations. And you need if you want to grow, you need both. And the one, you know, online is sometimes more accessible. Yeah. So don't discount it. And there's a lot of like relationships I've made through the internet. So definitely don't discount it. But if you can go offline or even ideally even meet some of these people online and then go offline with them and, you know, go on a photo shoot, photo walk, uh, it's really rich. And I, I definitely would encourage that to anybody who's just trying to find more people to do what they're doing with yeah. or get challenged or just find people that are like-minded that want to grow in their craft. So, well, I love companies that are building stuff for creatives and it's awesome to have you on the podcast kind of sharing more, uh, especially to our audience. Um, what are some things you want to plug? What are some things, how can people follow? What are some things, if they were going to buy one thing, if they're a photographer and the first thing that they should buy from Clever, like what's the staple or the essential? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, 
first of all on social media. Give us we're, your pitch. We're, we're Clever Supply Co. on on all of the social medias, so you can find us there. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the goal is just to help serve photographers with with high quality camera accessories, and so um, you know, you can you can you can use whatever camera you want and it, you know you don't always need like a super nice camera strap like yeah. the ones we make to be inspired but the goal is like you know you look at that camera on your nightstand as you're walking out the door and the goal is like you know you want to take it with you you want to be inspired to take it with you wherever you go and we hope that you know the nice camera strap accessory just inspires you in that way that's kind of the vision there and the goal is that you know nice things we want to we want to use them and we want to leverage them and so the goal there is um, to, you know, take something and hopefully it gives you a fresh perspective um, and it just inspires you to pick it up. But yeah, I mean, I would say like our original skinny strap is kind of like the OG strap. It's the cheapest one also on the website. So What's I'm not that trying like to go for. They go for like $64. So not too I'm going to get expensive. one of those and then like throw a disposable camera on the side of it. Just kind of walk around with love like, it. <laughs> love it. Wouldn't that be the funniest looking thing of someone walking around with like a throwaway camera, a disposable camera on a strap? I'm vibing with it. I think that'd yeah. be sick. Uh, but you know, maybe we could give a little discount to uh, the listeners. Yeah, that'd if you were, if you're still here and listening, <laughs> if you've made it this long, if you've made it this long, we we will make it. Todd will make HYC. How much you want to do off? We'll do twenty percent off. Okay, HYC twenty. If you're still listening there's a discount to buy a strap on clever supply. Yep. yep. Get the best deal. So dude, you're about to have like a thousand orders. Sick. Yeah. We've got a big listening crew. <laughs> All right. Well, this is awesome. Follow Todd. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. And if you listen, shout you know, out to clever. We'd love to chat to you anytime. So reach out over, yeah. over Instagram or Twitter or threads. If that's your thing. Yeah. We're, it's we're going to be there, the so. thing. It's going to be the thing. All right. Thanks Todd. See ya.